You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 2 Samuel 23 this morning. We're coming to the close of the book of 2 Samuel. We find ourselves again revisiting chapter 23. Next week we'll be in chapter 24, and Lord willing, we will bring the book of 2 Samuel to a close. And the following week we'll begin a series on 2 Corinthians. And I look forward to that. And I hope this series has been a blessing to you. I know I've been challenged by the book. And I've been stretched and grown by what I found within. So, 2 Samuel chapter 23, just to remember where we've been. This is a list now of David's mighty men. Men who have done great exploits for the cause of the kingdom. And they're honored here. Verse number 11 of chapter 23. We'll review the life quickly of Shammah. We talked about him two weeks ago, just in passing. A curious short story here, and we'll look at it this morning. I believe it is so appropriate and apropos to where we're at in our ministry today and in our lives in general. Verse number 11, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Herites, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils or peas. The people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. This is the word of the Lord, and it's pretty clear, it's obvious what's happening here. The Philistines have come, they're the enemies. Um, They've come to this portion of ground to either take it or destroy it. And when they come, the people who are there are terrified, and they flee. But Shammah doesn't. One man stands there in the middle of the pea patch and defends this piece of property against the enemy. And as he does, God, by his power, brings a great victory to the people of Israel. We understand this morning that that act in itself takes a massive dose of courage. You know how it is. And even without out. Uh, military battles, just to stand on your own in any situation certainly takes a massive dose of courage. And here's a man, when confronted with the enemy, when confronted with life and death situations, decides to stand. Massive courage. But I have to say, not only is there massive courage happening here, but I think there's massive craziness. Who stands in the middle of a pea patch? with their life on the line to confront an enemy by himself, saying that this piece of property is so important that I'm willing to risk my life for it. Now we can surmise this morning as we look at the text why he might do that. It could be this morning that Shama just was the kind of guy who was always looking for a fight. You know those guys, right? There are guys who are fighters and guys who are lovers. They say that if you're bald in the back, you're a lover. If you're bald in the front, you're a thinker. If you're bald in the front and back, you just think you're a lover. Okay? I'm not sure if that's true, but that's what they say. Okay? And there are some people, you know them, that they they just look for a fight. I have three boys. They're all different. But two of my sons, they're the type, and I think they get this from their mother, that they're looking for a fight. I mean, they're ready. The other's a lover. He's never looking for a fight. You can try to guess which one that is, Gregory. Um, 
But maybe this is Shama. He's just looking for a fight. Or maybe he loves peas. When we were children, we would have a delicious meal called peas and white sauce. Anybody have peas and white sauce? Oh, isn't it delicious on toast? That was dinner, right? And I just love that. To this day, I was asked my wife to make it, but after I just insulted her in the last point, I don't think there's a chance of that, all right? But maybe he loved peas, or maybe he realized that farmers feed cities, and so it was imperative to, for him to protect this farmer's field. We can surmise those things, but I think we do know some things for sure. Why this man, an Israelite, would stay in the middle of a pea patch and put his life on the line. Two thoughts for this morning. And I, 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 I tend to be short and brief to the point. I intend to be. Okay. Number one, which I think is obvious from the text of military men, that he was a subordinate. He was a military man. You, you, you know that people in the military are trained just to take orders, right? You lose your identity, you show up, they shave your head, everyone's the same, you look the same, you dress the same, they, they beat you down because they want you to take orders. That's why 18, 19, and 20-year-old men will storm a beach in the face of certain death with bullets and mortar flying because they are subordinate, they have been given a command, they are good soldiers, they soldier well, they don't care about what's happening, the the the, the command came, and it is my duty to fulfill the command. This is Shama. He is a true soldier who is subordinate. He's been given a command. Defend your home. Defend your land. And in the face of great opposition, he goes nowhere, even though it's a pea patch. Not only was he subordinate, and, and, and I hope that you stay with me because I'm not, I don't believe I'm stretching this this morning, and I, and I hope to prove it. But I believe not only was a subordinate realizing that this is my duty, but he was a good steward of what God had given the nation. Take your Bibles this morning. Look at Leviticus chapter 25. It should be on the screen in just a moment. And instead of turning there, I'm going to read it this morning. Shammah's an Israelite. They're in the promised land. This is God's law when he brings Israel into the land. And you can check it out later. This whole chapter is about what to do in the land when God, by his goodness, gives you an inheritance that's yours. If for some reason you come on hard times and you, you, you're poor, you can sell the land. But, but that land was given by God to you, and eventually that land will come back to you. So here's what he says in verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever. And that's the context. And here's why. This is God speaking. The land is mine. It's mine. It's not yours. You don't own it. It's mine. And then he says, for you are strangers and sojourners with me. God says, listen to the Israelites. I'm giving you this land, whether it's a mountain, a river, a stream, a valley, a farm, a pea patch. It's yours to steward. But I want you to know something. It's mine. It's coming back to me. A matter of fact, you are a stranger and a sojourner. Okay? And I think for Shama, not only was he a subordinate, but he understood the idea of stewardship and stewarding God's stuff well. It wasn't about the Philistines. It wasn't about the farmer. It wasn't about the pea patch. He understood that this land was entrusted to him 
to defend, to take care of. God had given it to him, and he was to be a good steward with what God had given. Now you say, I think that's a stretch. I think you have one verse here, and then Shama, and you're filling the blank. But, but listen to me. I don't think it's a stretch because David, David was Shama's commander, right? And, and this is how it goes. You know this. Whether it's in the military, in a corporation, in a business, a community, in a church, everything rises and falls on leadership. You got bad leaders, you got bad followers. You have committed leaders and serving leaders, you have committed and serving followers. It's that way in the world, it's that way in the church, it's that way in the nation. Now listen to the words of David, and I find this fascinating. Matter of fact, we read some of them this morning already. Look at 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This is the commander of Shammah, a man who Shammah was subordinate underneath, who spent time with David, who knew his heart, who knew his direction, who knew his love and passion. 1 Chronicles 29, starting at verse number 10. And, and the context of this, again, we don't have time, but, but Israel's about to make an offering to build the temple, a huge, massive project. David will not do it, but David has saved for it to give it to Solomon to do. So in, in verse number 10, we find, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Now listen to his words. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. Could we, if we had the time this morning, we could stop there and say, Amen and Amen. Thine is the power, the glory, the majesty. You deserve it all. It all comes from your hand. We are blessed because you are our God. But David doesn't stop there. Now pay attention. Remember Leviticus chapter 25. Remember Shaman the stewardship. Look what he says now in verse number 14. David, but who am I? And what is my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort, for all things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all of our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name, listen now, cometh from thine hand, and is all thine own. David says, We've saved, we've struggled, we've collected, but we know this, that everything we're giving back to you was never ours in the first place. It's yours. And we are privileged to take what you have given us and give it back to you. Now watch verse 17. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart and hast pleasure in uprightness. Okay. So, so what David just says is, what we're doing, Lord, I know. You look at our hearts, and you're pleased with what we are doing. That's pleasure and uprightness, 
As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now have I seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. I gave an illustration a couple weeks back about the, the Christmas boutique that our kids would go to, and, and they would send a home, up home. they would send a, a paper home, a note to say, listen, there's a Christmas boutique, we want you to give your kids some money so they can buy you gifts for Christmas, which I thought was insane, go out and get a job and buy your own gifts. But I guess at five or six years old, that makes sense. So the kid, we'd give them money, we'd send them off to school, they'd go on these aisles and they'd buy stuff, and they'd come home and they'd present us gifts for Christmas. And, and it never dawned on them that what they were giving me was my own. It was my money. It was Kim's money. They didn't sacrifice. They didn't work. It was my own. But we did not say when they came, you idiots, that's my money. Go on, and give me a better gift than this. You work a job and you take care. We didn't do that. You know what it did for us? It brought us great joy that our kids would take what was ours and use it for us. It's a beautiful thing. And here, Shama, David, the Levitical law says, listen, you need to understand something this morning, that everything belongs to him. It's his. And everything we have this morning is a gift from the Almighty God. This morning, your life is a gift. <sighs> Take a breath. It's a gift. Feel your pulse. It's a gift. And you've been given a gift of life by God, and there's coming a time when it will end. But he knows the time. He knows the place. He knows the circumstance. But your very life today is a gift. It comes from the creator. It comes from the creator. And when he says it's mine, it's not like some selfish child or immature adult. He's saying, I am the creator. I am the sustainer. All good things come for me, and I want you to know I've given you this gift of life. Life. But not only that, for the believer this morning, not only have we been given the gift of physical life, but I think sometimes we forget the blessed gift of spiritual life that God has given to us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. Hey, physical life is great, but you know it's coming to an end. And no one is exempt from it. But for the believer who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, this death on this earth is not the end. It is only the beginning. And that's a gift from God. And I think we take that for granted. We, we don't, I don't think we understand what we've been brought into by the sacrifice of Christ. There's a song. I, I don't, I, we've never sung it here. It's an old Presbyterian song. That's not why we don't sing it. Um, Presbyterians are good people. It's just it's an old song. And here's what it says. How sweet and awful, and it was written awful meant reverential or awesome. How sweet and awful is the place with Christ within the doors, while everlasting love displays the choicest of her stores. While all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cry with thankful tongues, Lord, why was I a guest? Why are you a guest at God's feast? Why, why do you know of salvation? Why are you saved this morning? It is a gift. And we must understand what we've been brought out of and what we've been brought into. 
in Christ. We have the storehouse of treasure of the universe, and all that is his is ours. And so God says, I have given you a gift. I have given you physical life for the believer. It's not religion. It's not good works. It's not doing your best. It's not giving to the needy. Those who repent and believe in the finished work of Christ are born again and saved. They've been given the gift of life, eternal life. Your talents and your abilities are gifts. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Paul says, in essence, hey, why are you boasting on what you have? Look at my talent. Look at my ability. I can organize. I can, I can create. I can make money. I can work hard. Look at me. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Everything you have, it came from God. It's his. Don't boast about it. It is a gift. And so Shama realizes, Paul realizes, Paul, David realizes and understands that if we look to this God that we serve, he is the giver of all, good, all gifts, all good gifts. It comes from him. And we are to steward those gifts, to be wise with what he has given us. So God says it's mine. Then he says we are guests living on his stuff. In 1 Chronicles 20, David says our time is like a shadow. Shadow. You know what a shadow is? It's here, it moves, it's gone. Our life's like a vapor. It appears for a time, and then it vanishes away. It's like the span of your hand. It's short, unless you have Ian Cameron's hands, and it's a little bit longer. About 85 years worth. As a story that's told, it's gone. And what God tells us is, listen, everything is mine. You are guests. You are strangers. You are sojourners. You're just passing through. And your time here is short. Listen, hold on as tight as you want to, to your life, your gift, your talents, your abilities, your money, your wealth, your income, your genius, your creative design. But I'm telling you something. Sooner or later, it will all be gone. 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 And everything that we think is so important, listen to me, a hundred years from now, chances are we'll be in a dump in Ridgetown. It's not lasting. None of it is lasting. And yet, we give our lives for the stuff and for this and power and position. And I'm telling you something. God says, it's all mine, and you're a stranger. You're a sojourner. You're just passing through. Eventually, you're leaving this planet. The mortality rate, as far as I know, is 10 out of 10. You're leaving the planet. And so, the question is this morning, are we good stewards of what God has given every one of us. And, and Paul understood this. I, I, think, I think most believers understand this. That's why for you and I this morning, as we sit in our comfortable churches, in our comfortable chairs, in our halfway working air conditioner, and sometimes halfway working other things, and we look around, we don't even understand the things that we have here. But the truth is, all of it, it doesn't matter. Because what matters is that which is eternal, that which never ends. Listen to Paul once more, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, passing, fleeting, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so here's the question. Shama stands in a patch, not because he loved peas, because he was a soldier. He did his job. He did his duty. 
but he understood, I am to be a steward of what God has given me. Why? It belongs to him, and I'm leaving anyways. It all goes back to him. What am I doing with what God has given me? And here's the question this morning. What are you doing? What am I doing? What is the church doing with everything that God has given us? Because we will be held accountable for what we have and what we've done with it. From our life to our bank account, from our talents to our abilities, what are we doing that's going to matter for eternity? And the sad truth is, is for many of us, the answer is nothing. Nothing. Oh, we glory we're around the table. We glory that we have the feast. We glory that Christ died for us and all the riches of heaven are ours. And we stay there and we're selfish and we're greedy and we never give out of ourselves thinking about what is eternal, what matters for the cause of Christ. We just don't get it. Our affluence, our wealth, our material blessings have blinded us to the reality that eternity is coming. I'll close with this, because I know, I don't, I, don't, I don't even look at my clock. It doesn't matter. I know you are. It doesn't matter. Listen, it's interesting what David says. He says there, Lord, as I see this unfold, it's all yours. I'm a stranger. I'm passing like a shadow. I'm going to glorify you and everything I have, my life, my goods, my... And then he says this in verse 17 of our text. He says, and with joy, joy, I watch your people give back what is yours. It brought him great joy. I got a call this morning. Thank you, David. That's the verse right there. Now I have seen with joy thy people which are present here to offer willingly unto thee. I got a text this morning, 7 o'clock. Um, it was my oldest son. He said, Dad, can you call me real quick? And when you get those kind of texts, you get really nervous, right? It's like either they're going to have a baby soon, which is really exciting, or something bad happened. And neither happened, just so that you, if you're ready to grab not, It hasn't happened yet. Um, so he said, I said, call. I said, yeah, age, what's up? He said, listen, I want to run something by you. So what is it? He said, hey, they just got a new car because the old car was going, and they head on the market to sell it for about $3,000 because Claire's going to go off to school, and it would be a great exchange to have some money there. And so anyways, car's on the market. His pastor calls him a couple days ago and says, AJ, listen, I know you're selling a car. We have a woman in our church who's a single mom, lost a son last year. Terrible story. We're looking for a car for her. You think you can let her look at your car and see what you can do? He just said, sure. So him and Claire prayed about it. They said, okay, it, it's worth at least three grand. We're going to sell it for three grand. We have needs coming, but what we'll do is we'll cut it in half. 1500 bucks, and we'll sell it to this lady. And so the lady comes, and she comes, and AJ says, okay, here's what the price is. And she said, would you take twelve? And she starts, she starts nickel and diamond him for this twelve hundred, right? Not knowing that it was a three thousand dollar car. And so he called me this morning and said, Dad, I don't know what to do. Am I being foolish? Is even I talk about this, is three hundred dollars a big deal? I don't know what to do on this. And I said, AJ, let me tell you a story. And so um, years ago when Kim and I were at Bridgeport, and it was just our two oldest boys were born, they were just young, probably, I don't know, seven and four, seven and somewhere like that. There was a family in our church, a, a, a large family. The guy was out of work, didn't have anything. It was around Christmas or Thanksgiving time, I think it was. It was Christmas, maybe. And our Sunday school class decided to, to get a bunch of stuff for them. I mean, gifts, toys. I mean, they had like 1,200 kids. Gifts, toys, food, meals, groceries. We packed our car. We had an old black Jeep. We packed it to the brim, and we went out, drove out to their little country home. They had a wood stove out there. They were dirt poor, and we thought, 
what a great experience for our kids to see how someone will be grateful for all these gifts that we have sacrificed for. So we got in the car. Two boys are strapped in the back. We pull up. I knock on the door and say, hey, listen, we got some gifts for you. The churches work together to do this for you. You know, we want to bring them in. They said, oh, sure. They never came out to help unload anything. Never. They sat on their sofas as we brought everything upstairs. And I'm thinking, that's strange. I mean, if someone's got a truckload of gifts, wouldn't you want to get out there and at least help bring them in? And so took everything up there. It took like 15 minutes to unpack all the stuff up there. Never helped once and never said thank you. Never. Listen, I know this is carnal. This is my flesh. I can't deal with ungrateful people. If I help you, I'm not expecting anything, but if you're not grateful, it's like, okay, I helped you, I'm done. Just let you know, so be grateful around me. Um, but, but I am irritated now, because this, this was a lesson for my kids to see the joy of giving, and these people blew it. So Kim and I are looking at each other, we're rolling our eyes, we get in the car. Oh, that was crazy. I look in the back seat at these two little boys, and both of them said, Dad, wasn't that the greatest thing we've ever done? You idiot. It wasn't. What did what? They never said thank you. And they were beaming. They were smiling. They, were, they couldn't contain themselves. Why? Because they found the joy of giving, not worried about what anyone would, how they would respond and what they would do. They knew we had something to give and we could give it. And I got to tell you something. When I watched that, and even this morning talking to him and thinking about that, my heart was full of joy. Joy! to see them on their own now as a young couple struggling with money. And he said, Dad, thanks. I knew what I had to do. I just had to hear your voice tell me. Can I tell you something this morning? We don't understand the joy of giving it all, regardless of the response. What are we doing it for? Are you doing it for this or the tax write-off? Is that? Then, then God bless you. We'll take it. I don't care what you're, we'll take it. But I'll tell you something, what you're missing is the joy of saying, God, it's all yours, all of it. And I'm going to hold it very loosely because there's a needy world out there and I can bring you glory by giving it back to you. And so this morning, I don't know what to do with this thing in Haiti, Dominican. I don't know. I don't know where to go for this. I, I know we have to do something. I don't know. But I got to tell you something. In our daily lives, we got to get back to the point that we realize he owns it all, all of it, all of it. It's all his. And any time we give anything back to him, we are doing that which is our duty to do. And the great thing about our God is when we do what we're supposed to do and just give back what's already his, it's joyful. It's a blessing. It's powerful. And so this morning, wherever you find yourself, if it's in a lowly pea patch and God has given it to you, your talents, your gift, your ability, your income, whatever it is, be a good soldier. Don't take off. Face what's coming. And be a good steward. Because it's not about the pea patch. It was never about the pea patch. Never. It was about God and what he had given and being a good steward of exactly what he gave. Let's have a word of prayer this morning.